Hello and welcome again to our podcast in reverse age order. I'm Jonathan. I'm Amy Hurd. I'm David. And I'm Matthew Hurd. And together we are... The Herd And we are very bad at doing that. That's not getting any better. Um, a slight disclaimer first. This is our second episode. Our third, third episode. This is our third episode. Okay, our first double episode um, was about Star Wars: The Force Awakens, um, and throughout we kept calling Jonathan JJ and not explaining that he is a different person to JJ Abrams, who directed that film. Uh, so. Just to get that out of the way, if we say JJ, we could be talking about either of those people, and it's up to you to figure out who. Yes. Because last time we talked about The Force Awakens, and none of us liked it, we had a lot of problems. Um, and essentially, uh, they came down to the fact that The Force Awakens is a slightly shoddy remake of A New Hope with a universe that doesn't really make any sense and hasn't progressed on since the time of Return of the Jedi, despite pretending it has um, in its opening crawl, and causing a lot of problems because of that. Um, that we recorded that just before uh, Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, was released. Um, since then, we've all seen The Last Jedi twice, and then uh, we are getting back together now in January to record our thoughts on that. It's been a while because we haven't even uploaded our first episode yet because we're all a bunch of cowards. It's true. What did everyone think of episode eight? Well, personally, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was much more loyal to the, the original material and it was just much more enjoyable as an audience member. Uh, yeah, I I feel the same with you. I very much enjoyed it, and I thought it was very good. Yeah, same here. Really enjoyed it. After the first viewing, there were a few things I wasn't entirely sure how. I knew I'd enjoyed it, but I wasn't in, you know, entirely sure sort of how much I'd enjoyed it, and if if a lot of that enjoyment was just from the fact that it was different from episode seven. Uh, but on viewing it a second time. Uh, you know, I came to realise I actually enjoyed it as a film, and rather than just sort of a slap in the face to, to episode seven. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I agree with that. the uh, The first showing was, um, I came out happy. I came out having had a good time, but I didn't come out sure how I felt about it. Like, I think I liked about half of it, and then the other half I found frustrating and a bit confusing, and wasn't really sure what I thought. But I thought I liked it, and the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. And then the second time, which we all saw together, which was really cool, because we never get to do that anymore. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it, and everything clicked into place a lot better. Um, and it's just a much more satisfying and much more complete experience than episode seven. So thank goodness for that. So hooray, this podcast is not just us complaining about stuff forever, which is great. And with that, let's get straight into it. So uh, here, it's been out for, um, I don't know, a month and a half. I don't actually know when it came out now. Um, so... We are going straight into talking about the full film, everything that happens. Full spoilers from here on. So if you haven't seen it, uh, stop listening. But just Although, know it's it's better than last time. Although, let's be honest, this podcast probably not going to see the light of day for about another month. And then it will have been out for ages. So. God, we, we, are, we are rocking this thing right now. We'll get there. <laughs> so let's start where the film starts. Because right from the opening crawl, uh, I felt a little better about this film. Uh, because the crawl, 
the universe it's describing it doesn't really make any sense to get to that point it doesn't make sense that what has happened has happened in the short time that it has happened but the explanation of what is going on in the galaxy makes perfect sense and the film follows it through and doesn't counteract it like last time and that just made me happy yeah i think i think yeah. that's that's true i might need to refresh my knowledge of the opening crawl but i i think it was i think you're right it was um a lot more uh concise in its explanation and it explained a lot more somehow yeah um, basically uh i don't have it in front of me but basically it opens by saying the First Order has taken over the galaxy. The galaxy is under their rule. They are about to attack the attack the Resistance base. The Resistance need to leg it. And that's it. And that's yeah. the description. And that's a universe that I understand what is happening there. Because it's really open and clear. Yeah. I mean, it, it does... Sorry, go on. Sorry. Um, I'm still not happy that that is the state of the universe. Um, but... I think it did make it clear that that is what was happening, um, even though I don't like that that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, how long do people think it's been between the two films? Um, see, this is one well, of the issues I, mean... I have with the film, is that um, I, I don't know. I would have said, like, a couple of weeks or maybe even, you know, a couple of months um, for that storyline, but then Ray's storyline is straight after. Because if if it took her several weeks, or even several months, to get to the planet that's Luke's on, which it should have done really, because as we said in the last one, light speed isn't just a teleportation system. Um, so it should have taken her time to get there. So that's fine. But then when she comes back into the, their their storyline later. It hasn't taken her weeks. So yeah. it kind of falls down a bit there. So that's one of the issues I have with the film is that I'm not entirely sure the two timelines tie up properly. I, I think um like compared to the issues we had with the the last one, that's quite a minor issue. Uh in the, yeah, the, the, the grand scheme. Yeah, it's kind it's it's kind of more of an annoyance than a this stops the entire film making sense. Yeah. yeah. And and it's traditional uh, for this series because Empire Strikes Back has two stories going on at once that don't match up at all. Uh, because I well I I don't know I've always assumed Luke is training for weeks um, on Dagobah. I've heard people say they thought it was only a couple of days because they took it literally that what was happening was happening simultaneously where I've, I've always said Luke's having one story and the Falcons having another story and you're seeing bits of them, but they're not really happening simultaneously. Well, I did wonder if that was the case um, in the last Jedi as well. If maybe the race stuff we were seeing had happened previously, um, but that doesn't work because she's having conversations with Kylo Ren in um, real time. So that yeah, you, you have to fudge the timeline in your head just to make any of it make any sense, unfortunately. But maybe the easier fudge is just saying, no, no, Acto is actually just hidden in like a nebula somewhere and no one could find it, but it's actually really close by, so it's fine. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe when, uh, you know, Cypher Diaz was deleting Camino from the, <laughs> the archive, he also deleted Acto by accident. 
That's what and, it is. And that's why no one found it, because uh, it's, it's not in the uh, holocrons. Or, maybe, Max von Sydow is Cypher Diaz. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and he took, he took the location of Atu with him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because he's the only one that knows where it is. But Yeah, and we still don't really know why, so that's as good an explanation as any. <laughs> oh, if you're looking for conspiracy theories um, and answers to questions, is this the film for you? <laughs> <laughs> because Ryan Johnson sure as hell doesn't think so. Yeah, um, no, he's... Um, I think he did a lot to just, uh, like, bulldoze over a, a lot of the stuff that J.J. Abrams did in the last one. Yeah, which I think we were all very happy about because we we did not like that film. Um, but yeah, a lot of other people did have problems with that. But I I quite liked that actually Ray's parents were nobodies because why shouldn't they be? Why do they have to be somebody that we've met before? Her her I... parentage wasn't anything I really cared about. To be honest, that was the only that was the only answer I ever thought it could be. Yeah. Because it would have, I think it would have just ruined something if her parents had been important. Like, it would have just been galactically improbable if her parents had been uh, someone significant, someone like. Who were people suggesting? Luke or Obi Wan? Oh, a secret daughter of Obi Wan, or possibly granddaughter. Yeah. I would have to, I, I would it... hope granddaughter. It just it would have been absurdly improbable for that. Uh, I I really liked actually um, the idea that uh, the chosen one is just a thing the Force does if someone gets too powerful. If the Jedi Order gets too powerful, the Force throws out an Anakin Skywalker to counteract that. Or if Kylo Ren gets too powerful, um, the Force just throws out a ray on a desert planet somewhere just to like bring balance and that the force is the force is constantly trying to reach this state of balance and so people get get power just to sort of offset other people's power and so none of it really means anything and i quite liked that yeah also that makes a lot of sense uh with regard to the rule of two because if, with the Jedi Order, when they were in their prime, they they had a lot of Jedi. They were, if um, you know, light side and dark side were always in balance, then um, with the Jedi Order, with so many Jedi, all of them had a little bit of the light side. But with the Rule of Two, the Sith always want to be more powerful, so they limit how many Sith there are. So they limit how many times. Uh, the dark side of the force is divided up amongst them, if I'm making any sense at all. So, <laughs> did, did, did that make sense? That did make sense. Um, and, and it ties in as well to what Luke was saying about the arrogance of the Jedi. The Jedi saw there was a prophecy that said, a boy will bring balance to the force. And they, thinking themselves the, like ultimate curators of the force thought, well, obviously that benefits us. Obviously that means he'll be on our side. And it never occurred to them that, no, they were in control at that point. Balance was actually against them. Uh, Anakin was dangerous to them. But they, did, they didn't see it that way because they were the Jedi yeah. and they thought they were in charge. And I think that's really cool. 
that's doing really yeah, that is... interesting things with the mythology, and that's great. That is clever. Like, yeah, um, also, um, it kind of shows that Snoke has a really interesting, in-depth understanding of the Force, because we have no idea what Snoke is. In, in the, the Force Awakens, Snoke was just kind of an Emperor clone. He was this big, broody guy that sat <laughs> in a chair and wore dark clothing and sort of went... Ugh. And... I love that he doesn't wear dark clothing in this one. I love that he wears an amazing pimp robe. Yeah, because that's... Yeah. So we we don't know what he is, because he's obviously not a Sith, because of the rule of two. There were two Sith. There was the Emperor and there was Anakin. So he's obviously not a Sith. So what is he? Is he a dark side a uh, acolyte, or whatever they're called? Or is he some kind of dark side scholar? <laughs> <laughs> studies the Force and studies the history of the Force, God knows. But he obviously has this understanding that the Jedi Order missed, and I, th I think that's quite interesting. But also, I I really like what Ryan Johnson did with uh, with Snoke. Like you said, he has the 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 pimp robe, the the gold pimp robe, and he has this really <laughs> impractical, gigantic red room, and he's just in it. He really he's in it for the uh, the glory, for the bling. But where, whereas the Emperor was in it for the the power that he had over people, and I think yeah. that's that's either, a either contrast. Way he slumps in the chair. Where the em the emperor sat straight and hunched and and Snoke gangster uh, leans, but he's also yeah. arrogant as well in that he's um he's so sure in himself that the idea that Kylie Ren would ever turn on him doesn't even occur to him. Yeah, so yeah. even when he's sensing Kylo Ren is about to murder him, he thinks, "Oh, Kylo Ren is feeling intense hatred towards someone and is going to stab them. Must be that girl. Definitely not me." Doesn't occur to him. Um, yeah, it's so it's so great. Uh, J Jonathan, you were saying how uh, you're really interested in knowing who and what Snoke is. Do the rest of you think we're ever going to find out? Because I don't think Ryan Johnson is remotely interested. Um, it, obviously, Episode Nine might spin off in a different direction, but wondering who Snoke was was a big part of the people who are angry about this film. They're, they're angry about Ray's parents and they're angry about that Snoke was just cast aside with absolutely no explanation of who he was. And I, I th I'm not sure we need an explanation. I'm quite happy with the idea that he was this guy who what, thought he could be the Emperor again and wanted to reenact the past and it went wrong for him. And that's fine. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm interested in sort of I suppose sort of who he was but i'm not interested in the conspiracy theories that he's a character that we've met before because oh, yeah, that no, just that, that just seems very convoluted and yeah. stupid really so i i'd rather oh. <laughs> he was a person that we haven't met before than um whatever any other ridiculous conspiracy theories were Except I've just remembered one of the one of the craziest conspiracy theories uh, that's based entirely on the fact that he wears a robe of similar colour and has a long face uh, is that he's uh, Jocasta New, the librarian from episode two. <laughs> Jonathan, what you're saying that he was like a scholar, that totally works. He's totally her. I'm OK with that. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you're right. I quite enjoyed that 
all of this stuff amounted to nothing, that Ray's parentage wasn't important in the end, and Snoke's history wasn't important in the end, and the Knights of Ren weren't even mentioned. Even smaller stuff, like Snoke telling Kylo to take off his stupid helmet because he's not Darth Vader and he should stop dressing up. Um, yeah. And and Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder. Those were the moments that made me go, oh, Ryan Johnson's on my side. He thinks J.J. Abrams was focusing on the wrong stuff too. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. Because this film was full of new things that we haven't seen, which is exactly what we were asking for last time. There, there were new uh, new ships and there were new places to visit. And new, not, not just new planets, but new types of planet. Because... Jakku is a new planet, but it's just Tatooine again, uh, and it was it was so good to see it. There's even there's even like new ideas. The Force gets used in new exciting ways. People do things with lightsabers and spaceships that we've never seen before, and that's yeah. What 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 did people like? What were the what were your new favorite new bits? Well, I think um, just in, within the opening scene, there was something which. Uh, all of us immediately cottoned onto, like tagged onto, um, which yeah. is the, the new bombers. I think yeah. we can Yay. all agree that they rocked. I mean, they, they sucked, really nice but they them. rocked. <laughs> Where were they in the attack on Starkiller Base when they were bombing something? But but I liked that they they were specifically designed for bombing. That's all they were designed for. They were rubbish at manoeuvring and things. And so they had to have um, X-Wings around them to actually give them cover fire, essentially, because they were giant, easily shootable bombs. So um, the fact that that is specifically what they were designed for, I really liked, because I think in in The Force Awakens, like, every ship was doing everything. Um, Yeah. So I I really liked the bombers. Yeah, because what the the X-Wings were doing in... The Force Awakens, they just had like single laser turrets that would blow up, but in this, it had a full on the bombers had like a full on carpet bomb effect, and it was just really great to see like the uh, the the magazines of bombs falling down. That yeah. was so satisfying. Yeah, they they possibly need to rethink their uh, formations a little. Maybe maybe stay further away from each other, so if one of you explodes, it doesn't take out the entire fleet. You know, maybe. Yeah, do that. it was a total disaster. <laughs> that was terrible, terrible tactics. <laughs> yeah, not not great, but that yeah, they were really and watching all the like you say, watching all the bombs uh, shoot out was incredible. I know people, a lot of people have been saying, "Oh, how do bombs fall in space?" It's just. There were magnets it's... around the bottom of the ship. It's very if it's very easy to think of an explanation that makes sense, go well, with it. Well, it's momentum, isn't it? The ships obviously had gravity. Yeah, cuz they they're all, they're climbing up and down ladders. So And if you drop something in space, it carries on in that direction forever. That that's how space works. You put so, you fire something in some direct one direction in space, it will carry on in that direction forever. So if you there's gravity on your ship and you drop a bomb, it's gonna go down. Because that's how space works. That's in- oh my god, that's incredible! I that's even simpler than magnets. How are we doing, David? Tell us about planets or ships or something. Tell us about crate, David. What did you think about crate? Salty. <laughs> <laughs> it's salt. I really like crate. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, the um the red dirt being thrown up underneath the uh, underneath the salt was just amazing. It looked so good. That's the thing, actually. It's it's 
does new things visually as well, this film. Like when yeah. Ray's when Ray is connecting to the force on on the island, it shows like plants growing and it shoots underground for a second, it shows bones and things, and we've never seen that before. I'm not even sure I liked it, but I was excited to see something new. Yeah. Um and sort of JJ uh not JJ Ryan Johnson's approach to Yeah, the universe. Um, was just different in the way that you know we complained about in The Force Awakens. On shots, his focus would be, oh, look at the alien popping up in front of the camera, way, kind of thing. <laughs> um, but there were shots in um, The Last Jedi where something really interesting would be happening in the background of a shot. So there's a shot when um, Luke and Rey are walking up a hill and just in the background you see a giant sea monster just come breaking oh, yeah. the surface and ducking yes, underneath. Yes, that, that, I liked that. Just that was good. Sort of the difference in approach of the way of setting up a, you know, universe and showing that uh, it's not just about these characters. They're they're on planets. Don't forget this kind of thing. Was just it was just a much better, more organic approach. Really, I thought because that's something you know that something happening in the background is something you you might not notice every time, but you pick up on it. It adds a, a cool little extra detail. Whereas having something jump up in front of the camera and go, "Way here I am, I'm a puppet," <laughs> was um, the wrong approach to it. I think. Yeah, the um, everything on Acto was was like that, like the like the cows that Luke milks. It, it's just a quick cut in a montage and. All the stuff the uh, what they call the caretakers, the nuns are doing off in the background, and it's even it's even truer on Cantobite, the uh, the casino planet, where in every shot someone in the background is just gambling on some weird machine or getting a drink or there's just there's just weird stuff walking around. And when the oh, what are the horse things called? Can anyone remember? I want to say Thestrals, but that's Harry Potter. Yeah, Fathias. I think it might be Fathias. Anyway, sorry, uh, super nerds, we got that wrong. Um, but when they're charging through the streets, there's people sitting in little cafes or people parking their cars as they trample past. Um, and that's, that's it, it just makes the world feel more alive. What's, what's really nice is that it was independent of the story and just going on around them. So that brings us to the story, I suppose. Um, which is sort of three intertwined stories, I thought. Like, each each character uh, gets their own thing to do and gets their own story that ties into who they are, which is not something that happened last time. Last time, we made a point of saying how much we loved the characters, but then the stories they were going through didn't tie into those characters at all. And a big part of our problem was that who Ray was didn't inform what Ray did. And likewise with Finn, and uh, not so much Poe, because Poe didn't really have a lot going on. But this time, Poe's got a ton going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think in the last podcast, I said, I love Poe. Um, that's still <laughs> true. I, I still love Poe. <laughs> um, but I think in The Force Awakens, I think it was very one-dimensional. He was like, hi, I'm Poe. I'm a great guy and a great pilot. Yay. And that was kind of all he had going for him, although I did love him. Um, in this one, <laughs> he's he's still got all that going for him. But he's also very rash and he makes some very bad decisions. Um, but you can understand why he's making them. 
Um, and I think that just made him a, a lot more three-dimensional. Um, yeah, and it's also yeah. nice that he to see that he's flawed. Like, he's he's quite flawed because, like I said, he made some bad choices. Um, I do still love him, though. Yeah, I think his, for me, his story worked the best in this film. I don't think his parts of the film were the best parts. I think the best parts were Luke's parts. But um, Poe's story worked the best for me, Poe and Leia and Holdo, uh, because we got to see him go from like an arrogant hotshot pilot who sacrifices all their bombers just to get a minor victory uh, because then he gets to be the cool hero to this this leader who understands uh, the sacrifices he has to make and the weight of them. Um, Amy, I know you uh, were saying something about how he immediately thinks he's going to be in charge and how ridiculous that is. Yeah, when they say, um, when they're introducing Leia's successor, um, Pose looks looks... As, you know, as if he thinks it's going to be him, and I was yeah, real hopeful. Yeah. He's he's just been demoted, and even then, he he wasn't exactly the highest ranking member. So <laughs> yeah, I was... I don't know why he ever thought it was going to be him. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he understands how chains of command work at all. I mean, um, in all honesty, in this who film, they fancy on the day. We see, we see, we see that Poe is actually kind of an idiot. Yeah. 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 Uh, did we like Holdo? Um, and what went on with her? Yeah, I thought she was she was good because I think she's sort of a type of leader that we maybe haven't seen before. Yeah, yeah, uh, much le- much less personable than uh, Leia. Um, yeah, and even like Mon Mothma and Akbar, perhaps. I don't know. We didn't really see much of Akbar being, you know, personable. We just saw him it's... go, trap, and then sort off. Yeah. It's true, but he'll he'll get on he'll get on the phone with Lando if Lando calls up for the Falcon and say we can't repel firepower of that magnitude. Um, he's just he's just having a chat with one of his pilots. He's not he's not giving orders coldly and telling people to just trust him. He's you know he's having a he's having a chat. Yeah, it's that true. I thought Holdo had some very odd motivation. Like you you said, she was less personable, but there's there's being less personable, and then there's not telling your crew anything. There's a weird line about that, isn't there? But I can't remember exactly what what it is. But Leia's sort of like she wanted to keep the sun shining rather than oh um a, a hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you can see it, then you won't last the night or something. Yeah, because that's yeah. that's Holdo quoting Leia, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But then at the end, when they're flying away from the ship towards Crate, yeah. um, Leia says something along the lines of she wanted to keep the sun shining or something. I can't remember exactly okay. what it is, but it's... Yeah, so they try and explain it as in she didn't tell everyone that they were retreating because she wanted them to still think... Because that would be demoralising, so she wanted them to still think that you know they were f- fighting on or whatever. But it doesn't really make you like... So they they try and explain it within the film, but it doesn't really yeah, work in, in terms of the explanation they give, and it is yeah. And I I've heard it explained as at that point they this wasn't clear enough in the film for me, but I do think this is an explanation that makes sense. Is they knew they were being tracked, they didn't know how, so they thought they had a traitor on board. So they were keeping the information centralized so that. Whoever it is couldn't get that information to the first order to let them know where they were because they didn't know about the hyperspace tracking. Mm, Only yeah. Poe, Finn, and Rose know about that. 
I read a lot of people on online were saying they don't know why that storyline couldn't have just been Akbar. You know, why did Akbar have to be killed off? Um, I, whereas I think that plot wouldn't have worked if it had been Akbar because I don't think Poe and the others would have mutinied against Akbar because they mutiny against Holdo because they don't really know who she is. But they've, they've but worked it, under Akbar already. So yeah, I, I suppose think... it had to be someone new because we, the audience, sort of had to have in the back of our minds that maybe she was evil. Yeah, mm. and um, yeah. Poe wouldn't have mutinied against Akbar. But it so... also brought in, you know, the, I mean, the fact Akbar was even in the new trilogy in the first place, I always yeah. thought was kind of stupid anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he was brought back. Shouldn't because he have retired somewhere? For, yeah, he was just brought back as a visual. Um, you know, call yeah. back to oh, everyone liked that guy. Let's uh, let's get him back in this this film that needs to have all the stuff that everybody likes in. But you know, in bringing him back for those selfish reasons, or those you know those reasons that didn't actually make sense in terms of the story, um, they actually it worked well in the Last Jedi in that they could just kill off a well-established name character without a moment's hesitation. And it instantly raised the stakes. So I didn't like the fact yeah. they'd, they brought him back for The Force Awakens because I thought he served no purpose. But actually, in this film, they made him serve a purpose in that the fact yeah. that Akbar is killed or is you know killed quite early on into the film, um, quite callously, really. And, you know, people have a problem with, oh, they, you know, he didn't get a hero moment. He just got sucked out of the, um, you know, the bridge when it exploded. But I think that really works because instantly the stakes are raised. They aren't afraid to kill off those named characters. Do you not think it's undercut a little by the fact that you're focusing on Leia in that moment because she's out there with him? Yeah, I mean, you don't know, you don't realise at the time that he's gone because, as you say, all the focus is on is on Leia. But yeah, it's in dialogue later that they say we've lost our entire, um, you know, command, including yeah. Akbar, kind of thing, and that and that's when it hits you that. Oh, he's gone. Yeah, so people complain that they introduced a new general. Uh, actually, I'm not admiral. I'm not sure what Holdo's rank is. Admiral? I think she's an admiral. They they mix army ranks with navy ranks anyway, yeah. just to be confusing. So I don't they, know. They had a perfectly serviceable admiral there anyway that they killed off all disrespectfully and things. And why didn't they just use Akbar for Holdo's story? But yeah, as Amy said, they wouldn't have reacted that way to Akbar. Um, but it also works in that it raises the stakes for the audience as well, and it makes it reinforces how bleak their situation is. So, as a for someone that was brought back as just a haul, just a callback to you know days gone by when we all still love Star Wars because everything was a puppet, um, yeah. he actually <laughs> worked really well on an emo- on an emotional story level, and I didn't expect him to. So, so yeah. that was really well handled by Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Also, I think um, them bringing Holdo in um, kind of enforced uh, Poe's bitterness and jealousy towards her. Because, like you said, if um, if Akbar had been like, he's the new leader, he would have been like, ah, oh, you know, I'm unhappy, but fair enough. But yeah, when Holdo came Akbar. in, he had preconceived ideas about Holdo. He was like, wait, is she the lady who was like in that? asteroid belt doing that stuff or whatever the hell he says um (laughs) not what i expected it's basically the same as the matrix line where he's like trinity i thought you were a man yeah and he's like wait that 
that is not what I was expecting. And then, so he had preconceived ideas. She didn't meet those ideas. And he was like, well, well then. Time to mutiny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we we have to we have to address the fact that there is like uh, a layer of sexism running under running under his story, not in just the way he acts, but also the way the fan community has reacted to that story. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how much that is. We can't possibly know how much people would be annoyed that Holdo didn't share information if Holdo had been a man, because how. how uh, Holdo wasn't a man, and that's not the universe we live in. But yeah, there's there's definitely some of that going on under there, and it's a bit gross. Yeah, yeah. But that's but that's then... also the point the story's making. So you know, we, but we we should probably talk about Leia because this is this is the point in the story uh, that Leia gets the most to do. And I thought yeah. Carrie Fisher was awesome in this. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. In Force Awakens, she felt like Carrie Fisher dressed as Leia acting in this she felt like leia and i don't know what that even means i just know that that's how i felt and um i think the the issue that you describe matthew stems from the fact that all the characters they brought back in for the force awakens were just reliving their greatest hits yeah Uh, and not not you know leia and you know even han didn't really get a chance to grow as characters they were just no the they'd also almost been reset in that Han's gone back to being a smuggler and Leia's gone back to being a resistance leader. Yeah, they they'd you know they they'd almost gone backwards as um as characters and they didn't really have a chance to you know to shine because they were just retreading familiar steps and I think that's why Leia felt so much more impactful this time that she had um you know she actually has. A, had a purpose and she had something to do and she we were able to see um you know what Carrie Fisher could do really and it was so great to see because she's been you know absent from the screens um in in such a long time really and the same the same applies to to Mark Hamill mm. as well um and it's a shame that Harrison Ford never <laughs> never got that opportunity because he was just stuck in in his mold really but uh but yeah the 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 way it allowed uh, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill to really shine. I thought was one of the film's greatest strengths. Yeah, I agree. Um, we'll get to we'll get to Luke in a bit, but um, last thing there. Oh no, last couple of things. I, um, I was just going to say a lot of people seem to have a problem with when Leia gets blown out and manages to get back um, to the ship. A lot of people didn't like that because um, the. I don't know, maybe, I think maybe people didn't like it because visually, maybe it wasn't the greatest thing we've ever seen, but um, I actually really liked it because we got to see Leia use the Force, and it kind of annoyed me that she didn't in The Force Awakens, so I really liked that. And also, it basically just Force Pulse, so I don't really know why people can't handle it. Handle it. Yeah, especially especially in space, a tiny little put a force nudge would send her in that direction. But but what I like about Leia doing that is that the 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 overall theme of the film is that the force doesn't really belong to anyone. The Jedi thought it was theirs and they were wrong. The Sith now think it's theirs and they're wrong. Um, and Leia isn't trained. Leia's not a Jedi. She can just instinctively do that in moments of danger. Because yeah. the force is everyone's, and because she's connected to it, yeah. Um, and yeah, we knew we knew she had, 
she wa- she had a connection before, but to see her actually use it like that was really great. Yeah, I, I think possibly the reason so many people have got an issue with it is because visually, maybe it wasn't amazing. Yeah, it was a little uncanny valley. Yeah, it's weird because of all the leaps and bounds that um, technology and filmmaking have made, making people fly and fall convincingly <laughs> still seems to elude them. <laughs> I don't quite know why. Let's talk about yeah. the Holdo manoeuvre. Before we move on to talking about Canterbite, which is next, um, Holdo turns her ship around and ploughs into uh, the Star Destroyers at light speed. And it's one of the coolest things we've ever seen in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's and it's super crazy cool, um, and it's, it's a heroic sacrifice for Holdo, who... Um, redeems herself in the eyes of um, Poe and lets the fleet get away. But also, I, I'm i not I'm not very happy with it because it feels like that genie can't go back in the bottle. In any situation now in the future, we'll be asking, why don't they just, like, hypercrash? Why don't they just yeah. fly into them really fast? That, I, that I did think that as well because they were in a fleet of how many? And then they uh, ended up with three. one ship. Yeah. And you saw the, the medical frigate fall behind, it ran out of fuel, it fell behind, and it got blown up. Why didn't it, as it was running out of fuel, quickly turn around? Like, the pilot was still on board, he died a horrible death. <laughs> Why didn't he blast his way through the ship? It showed a clip of him, uh, you know, in a hologram, going, it was nice working on <laughs> dying. Why didn't he, uh, you know, do a quick U-turn and blast his way through? Because he was out of fuel. Yeah, the uh, the Star Destroyers were also out of fuel, which is why they couldn't, you know, jump, like, two minutes in front of them and just wait. The thing is, with the, um, as Matthew has uh, dubbed it in the past, the hyper-boom... Boom! Well, I, I think, because of the way everyone reacted to it, everyone yeah. on the bridge of uh, the Star Destroyer, Hux and the other general guy, look at it and go, Oh my, no, no, don't do it! And everyone in the the rebel fleet goes, holy crap. So I think it's just, like, <laughs> not a done thing. I think it's just generally accepted that but, that but is not something you do. That's fine, except because the, the First Order and the Empire regularly destroy planets. <laughs> but I suppose that you it's it must be something you only do in very desperate situations, I suppose. Yeah. Because surely as well, no one's there to take the ship out of hyperspace, so is that ship just going to keep going until the edge of the universe? Oh, I assumed it was destroyed, but I don't know. Yeah, well, no, that's that's the thing because a full a full ship it it works it goes into a hyperdrive as a full unit. There are like containment fields or whatever that mean it moves as one object through hyperdrive. Um, oh, so you think bits of it are carrying on through space forever? Yeah. So we don't know the effect. Like that going into maybe hyperdrive, that's it. Maybe it's really dangerous because you can't control the shrapnel. Yeah. Or maybe there's there was an absolute blitz of really dangerous radiation came out of that. We don't know. There might be uh, like universe warping effects on that zone of space for a little while. Yeah, because everyone reacted to it like like they just set off a nuclear weapon on a beach and everyone's like, oh god, now that area of the world is out of commission for a good while. Again, it's one of those things where we'll have to just headcanon ourselves around it like the timeline that makes no sense. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. 
Right. So, uh, moving on from Poe and the fleet and uh, Holdo blowing herself up, um, the next story really is Finn and Rose um, and their adventures on Canterbite, trying to find the master hacker. now I said said we really liked liked Canterbite uh, as a place and a, as an opportunity to see all these new things. Did we think this story worked though? Because I'm not convinced personally. I've I've spoken to some people who say that that's um you know that that was one of the storylines that had the most impact to them because it like had a political side to it. The the arms dealing the sort of subplot and also the. Uh, the corruption and the uh, slavery of both the people and the things that are not called thestrals, uh they're all interesting points but they're, they're, they're nothing to do with the rest of the points the film is making. The rest of the film is sort of cohesive and focusing on the same sort of things um, but this section goes off and makes its own little points which are all very interesting but they don't really tie into anything else and yeah it's a little strange and they they do come to a conclusion they do set the favias free and the 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 kids are inspired at the end which i suppose ties them into the the themes of hope which is uh which is a bit weird because that's the same sort of themes that rogue one had but anyway it ties in in that way but the the arms dealing stuff just it just seemed a little odd that it was in there but also um it it kind of gave Finn because the thing with Finn is he was like, "Hey, I've been indoctrinated by the Empire. Oh no, wait, now I'm a rebel. Ah, oh, strong moral compass. You guys are good. You guys are bad." <laughs> so in this, it kind of challenged that, and he was like, oh, "Okay, so just because they're selling stuff to the Empire doesn't mean like they're just they're just people. People are people, and they're gonna do people things. They're not yeah, good it- or evil." If yeah. anyone needed to learn that, you would have said it wouldn't be Finn, the guy who used to be a stormtrooper and understands how indoctrination works. Like, of yeah. everyone, he's the one who doesn't need that story explaining to him. Um, and it, again, again, his his past as a stormtrooper doesn't tie into his story at all, except that Phasma turns up and fails because she's rubbish. <laughs> uh, I, I just really want that, them to do something with that, because there's so many interesting things you can do with who he used to be, and none of them ever come up. Um, and um, I know I understand the importance of Benicio del Toro's character because they find this guy and they don't really trust him, but then he, they, um, you know, he does some nice things, so they do start to trust him, and he's going to help them, and then he yeah. betrays them, um, and then it's his fault that that they know where the um, rebels are. But um, I don't really know what what Benicio del Toro was doing, like at all. <laughs> but also, how did he know where the rebels were? Uh, he overheard Finn talking about it when BB-8 throws in the microphone. But, um, but yeah, okay. so I, okay. I understood why the character was there, but it almost felt like he was a character in a different film. <laughs> but Finn and Rose's film was almost a different film. Yeah, I know, but Benicio Del Toro was in an even more different film. I don't know, He, I, I just don't really know what he was doing. <laughs> Yeah, his, oh. um, his stutters seem to be wherever he chose. Which, which letter are you going to choose today? Oh, one out of 26. Let's go for D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but their, their whole thing... Finn exists in a world where stormtroopers have 
laser axes for performing ceremonial decapitations <laughs> and where droids can uh, ride around on ATSTs that the roof falls off just because it's funny. <laughs> it's it's yeah. so strange what's going on there. Yeah. And I know I know people do have tonal problems with the film and like with the number of jokes. Actually the humour seemed very natural. Yeah, I actually thought it was very funny. Poe and Hux's opening scene is one of the funniest things in the whole of Star Wars, I think, but I do I do think the Canterby stuff feels I I, I enjoyed it, but it does feel separate to everything else in a really weird sort of yeah. way. It is sort of more prequely in a way than the rest of the film is. Yeah. In that it, it sort of throws everything at the wall and doesn't wait to see what sticks. Yeah, if um, you don't like if you don't like this thing that's happening, don't worry, something completely different will be along in a couple of minutes. Yeah, and just <laughs> they obviously, you know, the um casino looks like, you know, they they had a look at everything the concept team had drawn and put it in the film. Um it sort of worked in that yeah, it was showing a side of the universe that isn't war-torn. Uh, yeah. And is therefore closer to what um, the universe would have been like at the height of of the Republic. The Republic I, I yeah. That's, yeah, you know, Coruscant was where all the money was in the prequels, um, and now all that money's in places like Canterbury. So it makes sense that there would be a visual and tonal correlation there. Yeah, um, and and it's true of every war that there are people above the war, just sort of yeah. looking down on it and profiteering from it. Right. We, uh, I think we've already overrun and we've not even reached the most important part of the film. So let's talk about uh, Ray and Kylo and Luke um, as Ray goes off and does her training. Quite. Uh, now, the, the first time I saw this, I really hated this storyline. I loved every moment Luke was on screen because Mark Hamill is amazing in this film. He is so good. He yeah, is he's amazing. just he's just fantastic. But uh, every moment he wasn't there, I thought this storyline was pants, and I really struggled with it. And the second time, I kind of loved it. And I'll maybe get to that later. But what did you lot think? Um, I I really struggled at first with the idea that Luke would um, actually abandon his responsibilities, run away from his problems, essentially. Um, mm. I, I really struggle with that as a concept because I, I just think that's not true to Luke's character. But um, the script and Mark Hamill's amazing performance did did sell that to me and did actually convince yeah. me that, that that is within Luke's character. Um, yeah, because that's something that J.J. Abrams set up. That's, that, that's a fire that Ryan Johnson had to put out, and I think he did a very <laughs> good job of doing that. I, I would like to know what people who are upset about, like, um, the same people who are annoyed they didn't find out who Snoke was, they're not happy that this is what Luke's done with himself. But we had two years from the end of episode seven where this is the only way it could have gone. Like, there's no other reason he could possibly have been on that island unless he ran out. He, he went there for a short holiday and he couldn't get his spaceship started again. <laughs> oh. That that's wonderful, by the way. The fact that it sets up the fact that his X-wing is underwater, and I went, "Oh, yep. goody, we're gonna have the we're gonna have the Dagobah swamp bit where he pulls the X-wing out of the water, which he couldn't do because now he's Yoda." Ugh. And then it doesn't do it, so it sets it up. Uh, we're gonna copy the originals, and then it ignores it, which is such a yeah. It's it's the opposite of Episode Seven again, and it was so good. 
But yeah, no, I, I really um liked just everything Mark Hamill in that film. It was it was brilliant. And I think yeah. um Ray was stronger around him as well because uh he challenged her. And so I think um if, you know, she had gone and he was still the hopeful he was now the uh the Yoda character and well, not not the Yoda character. He is the Yoda character now. He was, um, you know, still the Luke character, and he was like, "Oh, yeah, let's do this. Let's go take on the world." It would have been kind of unhealthy for her character because her character discovered all this stuff and thought she knew what yeah. was what, and but really, she doesn't. She doesn't know much about anything, and Luke points that out to her. Yeah, I didn't like Ray at all, really, in the Force Awakens. I think I mentioned that in the last podcast. I I didn't think she had a personality at all um yeah she's better in this film i i uh i liked her a lot more in this one i still don't think she's got a huge amount of personality um but she's definitely got more of one than she had in in the force awakens and i i found her a lot more interesting yeah i think um the the whole lack of personality thing is kind of addressed by her becoming friends with uh, Kylo, with Ben, because um, when they're together, they're both a lot more expressive, and they're kind of like, oh, hey, um, I feel like we've been missing this for years, and they're both like, yeah, this is nice. <laughs> yeah, but they, they balance each other out, not just in terms of the Force, I think, but also in terms of who they are as people. Like, he's yeah. only really complete when she's around, um, it's the only time he's not bobbling with like anger he doesn't understand is when he's yeah. talking to her. She's the only person who makes him feel normal. Um, yeah, because yeah. that was another thing I issue I had with the timeline because I I thought it felt like she was on the island longer than she was because I think she's only there for a few days. Um, and I originally thought it it felt like she'd been there for longer, and the reason it felt like that is because. I I got the impression that her and Kylo Ren had been talking to each other for longer that we hadn't seen because that bit where they're in the cave and they touch hands like that feels like they've been talking to to, to each other for ages, um, and they seem to have become besties really fast. Um, but then David pointed out that that's because they don't have any friends, so yeah. they they become friends really quickly because they've got somebody to talk to that isn't their yeah. boss or their Simon Pegg. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so so it does sort of make sense that they would cling on to that and, and become friends, well-ish, friends-ish, um, so quickly. Yeah. But also, I th they have this, um, you know, people always uh, talk about this, this spiritual connection. Oh, I'll love you across time and space. You'll be on the other side of the planet, <laughs> but I'll feel you. I'll know that you're there. I'll I'll know when you're thinking about me, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, JJ, smacking down love and romance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I think, um, you know, in this, they literally do have that connection. They have a connection across time and space. Yeah, I mean, and... it's a synthetic connection created by Snoke, but yeah. they do have that connection. But you, but you mentioned Snoke, um, and so the next the next part is Ray abandoning Luke and going back uh, to try and to try and turn Kylo Ren. Um, 
and ending ending up in Snoke's throne room. The again, the second time I actually really like this uh, for reasons I'll get to in a minute. But the the first time I hated this because when they they're in the lift going up and sh- they're basically play acting uh, Luke and Vader in the base on Endor before they fly up to see the Emperor. Yeah, and then when they when they when they get in there and they they talk to Snoke, he's just he's saying he's not saying the word foreseen, but he's saying it's playing out just as I have foreseen it. And then Luke looks out of the window and gets to see look out of this window and see your fleet being destroyed, which is exactly what happened in That's a terrible just, it was doing exactly what episode seven did and reenacting all this stuff. That is both a terrible Snoke and a terrible Emperor. But it, it, it drove me nuts because it was just reenacting the same stuff again. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I didn't actually notice that parallel before. I know that's going to sound really stupid and like not very <laughs> no? observant. Uh, but no, I was just thinking that it's certainly on the second watching because I know how it plays out. Like how it's, it's quite clever because they, they obviously both see... Uh, they both have the same vision. They have a vision of them fighting the Praetorian Guards together. Yeah. And she goes, oh, he obviously turned good and helped me out. And he's like, yes, she's, 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 she turned uh, evil with me. <laughs> and so they're both looking at the same thing and going, oh, baby, this is going to go my way. And neither of them are right. <laughs> yeah, that's quite clever because it's like a, a two interpretations of seeing the same thing yeah that's a hell of a fight scene too that fight scene is amazing that's that's another that's another bit we've always wanted to see and never seen is what does happen if you switch on a lightsaber an inch from someone's head and we finally saw it (laughs) that was so satisfying yeah that was it was incredible and her doing that droppy lightsaber over under thing oh it's it's a fantastic that was was a very good fight I do love that Snoke has a murder hole. The Emperor had a murder hole in his chamber, so Snoke's got to have a murder hole too. And if you throw a guard in it, they just shower out in blood and bits. And there's no reason for it. It's just there for this fight. And it's so stupid and I love it. Yeah, no, I really liked his throne room. I thought how much of a... uh, I liked how much of a contrast it was to the Emperor's. The Emperor's was very bare bones. He was, you know... He was very bare bones, um, but it would for for Snoke. It was very lavish. It was very needlessly extravagant. Yeah. Well, Snoke's a pimp. We've established this. <laughs> yeah, and, and also it was a real a real shot of color into the first order's yeah. palette, really, because they yeah, because everything's the, white the... or black with them. Yeah, and um, I did like it. Felt it felt sort of un- otherworldly because you didn't know what that red was until it sets on fire, and you go, "Oh, they're just curtains." Okay. Yeah, but the way that that it slowly burned away as the fight went on. Yeah. Um. You, I saw you sort of you saw saw it first catch fire initially when the. Um, yeah. I can't remember what gets thrown against it if it's a person. I or think it's it's one of their, you know, their swords Laser that turn into yeah. vibro blades. Um, they were totally vibro blades. Yeah. They? And then it's not until sort of the end of the fight that you realise it's all gone. Yeah. yeah, and it was just and it's yeah, dropping just down they, around them in flames. Yeah, they slowly burned that away, and um, yeah, and it is sort of you know I don't know if it is symbolic of you know the veneer of 
of Snoke and the the allure of yeah. him burning down and all that kind of stuff, and or if it just they just did it because it looked cool, but it did look cool. So, uh, would you mind if I explain how I got my head around this Ray stuff? Okay, go on. So the first time. Um, I saw it. I, I really didn't like any of this stuff because it is just repeating stuff we've seen before and I, I hoped the series would have moved beyond that now. But um, the second time, the way I've come to think of it is all of it seems to make sense for me if we look at Rey and Kylo as someone who wants to be in a Star Wars film and someone who doesn't. So Rey's this orphan from a planet with no special history... Um, and she, she's a Star Wars fan. We know this because she's got her little um, rebel pilot plushie and she knows all the stories and she grew up on a planet surrounded by this stuff. So she, when, when she goes and sees Luke, she thinks she knows how it's going to go. She thinks, uh, I'm, I'm a big important hero in a big important Star Wars film and I can convince the old hero to come back and fight for us because that's how these stories go. And it doesn't work like that. And she's surprised by that. And she thinks, I'm a big important hero in a big important Star Wars film, which means, like all Star Wars heroes, I must have a secret backstory. I don't know who my parents were. That's probably important. And finding out that they are no one and she is not a Star Wars hero, like that that, that breaks her heart because that's not what she was expecting from that. And so when, when she starts seeing visions of Kylo and she starts to see that he is this frightened child and that he does have a softer side, she she thinks she can turn him. She knows how these stories go. She's she knows the story of Return of the Jedi, and she knows that you can turn the bad guy if they're conflicted. You can go to them and convince them, and that's why so quickly she goes from hating him to thinking she can turn him is because she knows this story. She's seen this before, and so in the lift she is reciting Return of the Jedi because that's the film she thinks she's in. Um, and then she gets to the throne room um, and uh, Kylo turns on his master and fights with her, which is what happened in Return of the Jedi. So she thinks she's won. She thinks she's turned him. Um, and then afterwards, he's like, join me. Join me and we're all the First Order together like a Star Wars villain. And she's like, oh, no, don't don't do this. Don't carry on uh, being evil. I thought we'd got past this. Um, and and all her actions make sense suddenly if you think of her as wanting to be in a Star Wars film and acting as though she is at all times, which explains why it annoyed me that it was just repeating itself. Um, and then on the other hand, you have Kylo, who is in a Star Wars film, does have Skywalker blood and this legacy to live up to, and the 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 new Emperor does think he is the new Vader and he has helped construct a new Death Star, and he's had enough. He just wants out. He doesn't want to be in a Star Wars film anymore. He wants to be he wants to be shot of this Star Wars crap. It's just a never-ending cycle that repeats uh, because J.J. Abrams repeated it. Um, and, and he's had enough. He doesn't want an empire. He doesn't want a rebellion. He just wants to be free. And so his actions make sense if that's what he's trying to do. And when, when Rey comes to him, he sees a way out. He sees another person like him. So when he kills Snoke, he's not thinking ahead. He's not thinking, then I'll be able to rule the First Order. He's thinking, and then I won't have to do this anymore. 
Um, and so when he says to Ray, join me, and she says, no, don't do this. Don't turn back to the dark side. That's not what he's talking about. And he even says that. He says... Um, no, you don't. You don't understand. This is this isn't about the dark side and the light side and the Jedi and the Sith anymore. This is about burning it all down and starting afresh. We need to get out of this cycle we're trapped in. And then she turns away, um, and and then it just becomes about destroying it all on his own. And that's when he flies down to crate and just tries to annihilate everything. And when I started looking at the film like that and looked at these two characters as sort of ciphers and metaphors for different ways of looking at the series it almost suddenly made a lot more sense to me um and i think i think luke's a similar thing in that luke thinks they need to escape the cycle as well so he wants to let the jedi which sort of stands in for star wars as a whole star wars should die because this cycle is dangerous and it's not helping anyone um and then at the end all these three viewpoints sort of come into balance in that Luke, at the end, when he turns up and he's the warrior monk we always wanted him to be, uh, he's figured out how to balance the cycle that's been going on that is Star Wars with, like, moving forwards and escaping it. Um, and so the Jedi can be redefined and rise again and be a little kid with a broom. And I've talked far too much now, and all of that was nonsense, but... What do you guys think? Is that's the only way of looking at Ray and Kylo's story that doesn't make me want to bash my head against a wall? No, I, I think you've just explained that very well. I mean, it does make sense, but at the same time, I kind of feel like you might just be making it up. <laughs> <laughs> but but if I'm not, the thing is, if I'm not making it up, I, like if that's not the case, the only other option is that Ray doesn't act like a human being and just makes these declarative statements about the galaxy because she does and i'd rather see her as this as this metaphor because then i can stand watching her do that than than try and figure out why a person would do that because yeah. they wouldn't i mean it's, it sort of does make sense but i think you are kind of projecting <laughs> i'm sure i'm projecting <laughs> uh but but all of that uh, leads us to uh, Luke coming back as this force for balance um, and facing Kylo Ren on crate. And how cool is that? That scene was amazing. That whole scene yeah. is amazing. Did you catch on, by the way? Did you catch on that he was younger and was carrying a lightsaber that was broken? I, I, no I noticed that his um, he looked younger and his beard... Uh, had more colour to it and had had a trim. Yeah, I I didn't clock that he was using a broken lightsaber. I noticed he wasn't leaving footprints, but I just thought that was because he was uh, that amazing. Um, and, <laughs> I, and I thought he'd just had a shower. <laughs> so, <laughs> embarrassingly, I, I noticed everything, but it didn't actually click. I noticed that he didn't make contact with him at all. He avoided all his swings, and he didn't fight back at all. He didn't yeah. touch anything while he was there. And obviously he survived the onslaught from the 8080s. Yeah, um, but that, I just thought that was super cool for shielding. Yeah, that's why I thought the dust that. off his shoulder, and it's amazing. Yeah, the, the way that you're expecting an enormous sword fight and then there's actually no contact as well is just, it's so perfect. He's this mellow, 
monk guy, and it's and he he does just... he does this this cool like evasive roll spin thing, and as he comes out of it, like he pulls this face, and I was like, like if both times I saw it, I freaked out, and I was like, that's Luke, that's Luke, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's Luke, but it just from the originals, it was just so him, and I love it. Yeah, every everything about that's great, and I I even like the way like. It's 8080s again, but they, they have redesigned them in that they've given them thicker legs that you can't knock down with tow, te- tow cables. That's why they've got those fat legs, I assume, is so that if you wrap a cable around them, they could just break out. Like They've learned their lesson. Um, do you know what we haven't mentioned, actually, is Hux, um, because that scene has some of the best Kylo and Hux stuff. I where... absolutely yes. love Kylo and Hux's dynamic. It's my favourite thing. <laughs> It's so great when when Kylo shouts an order and Hux just shouts it again but louder and Kylo looks over like what are you doing? And um when as well when uh, Kylo wakes up after the um the lightsaber breaks and the the ship is in ruin and tatters and Hux is stood over him looking at the chaos the carnage and he he reaches for his gun and then Kylo wakes up and he quickly covers it again. Yeah, it's just it's, it's just excellent. It's yeah, Luke Luke is something special in this film yeah his scene with leia like hit me hit me in the guts harder than pretty much anything else in this new series i think but as well when um when he uh obviously uh passed on when he he turned to dust and floated away um that was so impactful that was brilliant that's great that that feels like we're ending on a positive and a thing that we all loved which is good yeah but but it, it feels it feels really good to like Star Wars again. And that sounds fickle. It sounds like I stopped liking Star Wars. I didn't. I loved Star Wars. I just didn't like that chunk of it. But it feels really nice to have some new Star Wars in front of me that I like, if that makes sense. Oh, we're hopeful for. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Are we hopeful for future? Uh, remind uh, me, Jonathan, who is directing episode nine? Um, is it my namesake? Is it is it the JJ? But yes, I am. Unfortunately, I am concerned for episode eight because I didn't like Nine. episode seven, and it's the same director. So yeah, I'm not. I'm not feeling too positive. I'll tell you one thing. I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to finding out what JJ Abrams does with when all his chess pieces have been wiped off the board. It's. It's almost, it almost feels like we're back where we should have been at the beginning of episode 7. We sort of have a clean slate ahead of us where we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and we don't know the state of things going forwards. And, it, and it, we're back to that possibility. Like, there's, a, there's more directions this could go in now. Um, but the guy doing it is not a guy who seems to take many chances. So I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm worried. I'm a little worried. But it is possible that... Um, Ryan Johnson's given him sort of a much more cohesive starting point because the problem with, well, with with episode seven is that you know thirty years had passed so the universe could be in any state. Yeah, um, and it was it was an open sandbox really. Unfortunately, he told he chose to tell tell a, tell a really um, you know derivative story when he could have told anything he wanted. But now he's been he's actually been handed a solid world state really. And and in having restrictions, it might actually force him to do something interesting with them. It's possible he might be able to, you know, dig in a little bit better for episode nine and produce something that is 
you know worthy of the of the franchise really yeah right we need to wrap this up because once again we've run massively over long um it's an hour shorter than it was last time matthew <laughs> that's true but we'll 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 no doubt get back together to talk about some nonsense at some point this may eventually end up online if any of us uh like summon up the strength and bravery Courage. to actually do that yeah. um <laughs> But until then, um, I've been Matthew Hurd. Uh, I am Hurdy42 on Twitter, but you don't want to go there because all I do is complain about Brexit. I am David Hurd, and I don't have Twitter. Um, I'm Amy Hurd, and I am ACB Hurd on Twitter and Instagram as well. I am Jonathan Hurd, and I have next to no online profile, so yeah, you won't be able to find me. We also have now got hold of at uh, Herdmind as a Twitter feed, so that may be a thing at some point, so you might want to follow that. Herd spelt with a U? Have we said that yet? Probably not. <laughs> we didn't tell them Jonathan's name until today, so, you know. Um, yeah, but uh, that's us. Thank you very much for listening. We have been... The Herdmind! Herdmind, sorry. I was, wait, I was, I was somewhere else. Oh my god! <laughs>